So as we get ready to wrap up our 2010 stewardship campaign here at Church of Our Savior, it's tempting to take a well-trod path with today's gospel and talk about the widow's might. And for me to exhort you to take her generosity to heart, as for those of you who have not pledged yet, consider your pledge, put everything she had into the temple treasury, and hold that up as a great example. It's tempting, it's tempting, because it would avoid the more humbling and in some ways more frightening implications of today's gospel. Today's gospel is humbling, first of all, because Jesus' harsh words about the scribes give me great pause. Because truth be told, there's definitely a side of me that likes to walk around in long robes. <laughs> Who likes, yes, being greeted with respect in the Old Valley Market. And I do sort of get the best seat in worship. You know? And when I visit people at home in my service as rector, I am often given a seat at the head of the table. Now, I hope the prayers I offer publicly are not for the sake of appearance only. And I pray even more earnestly to Almighty God that I do not devour widows' houses. But we all know, don't we, that this parish has relied on the generosity of numerous widows over the past century to sustain our community. And yes, that includes clergy salaries, so we can keep our food on the table. So these are words to give me pause, indeed. In short, I feel a dangerous kinship with the scribes, who were the keepers of the legal and economic apparatus of the first century temple in Jerusalem. They were among Jesus' harshest critics. They were also the people Jesus was quickest to criticize himself. You see, Jesus' point about the widow's might in today's gospel is not so much about our financial stewardship, but it is about the unspeakably awful economic injustice that sat right at the heart of institutional religion of his day. In God's name, no less. Jesus makes a point as he describes this to his disciples. She put in all that she had to live on. Everything. There was nothing left. And this in contrast to his language about the scribes who devour widows and their homes in his words. Jesus is pointing out that the scribes and all of their hypocrisy and their sort of fantasy world are putting enormous hardship on the poorest of the poor and the marginalized. Widows among them are the most vulnerable. And see, the hardest thing for us is that the scribes' spiritual downfall is always knocking at our door. Always there. Our claims of God do not automatically inoculate us against the pitfalls of grasping greed or the ignorance of real need in our midst. 
And we always must be vigilant that our desire and drive to pull together an institution, a community, even our households, and our own business lives can sometimes engender that greed at the expense of the least of these. In today's readings, I'm most struck by the image of the widow at Zarephath picking up sticks to prepare the final meal. Her words to Elijah, I am now gathering a couple of sticks so that I might go home and prepare it for myself and my son. If we may eat it and die. I don't know if it's the context or just my frame of mind, but I never hear that said with any self-pity or sarcasm, but with a matter-of-factness that is both ironic and profound. Picking up the sticks presents a fidelity to that final meal of looking into the face of dissolution and death for herself and her family with a kind of dignity that all of us should aspire to as we consider our inevitable meeting with the end of the road. It's a lesson in accepting the vulnerability of our true powerlessness in a world that we cannot ultimately control and in a world where we cannot put our trust in any ruler or child of earth ultimately. For no matter what we or others do sooner or later, we return to the dust from which we were made. That is the kind of peculiar and remarkable faith that both of the nameless widows in our readings today possess. It's a faith that embraces reality, however hard it might be, with a trust and an acceptance and that trust and acceptance are unnerving to the scribes that live within all of us. Because the reality of picking up sticks for the final meal or parting with the final pennies in one's possession points to the radical poverty that is the truest reality of all our lives. It's a reality that cuts through all of the hypocrisy and vain grasping that can consume us so much of the time, because truly we own and control nothing. It's a pretense that we claim to. It's a fantasy to which the scribes themselves were victim. And we must forever be wary that our religiosity and our spiritual practices the fancy robes and the well-endowed furnishings do not lead us down the road into fantasy. The widows point to the trust that rests at the foundation of a true faith, a radical trust in God. And it is that kind of trust that God honors. For the widow in Zarephath, Elijah comes at the moment of greatest scarcity, bringing God's power to sustain her and her son through the famine. And for the widow outside the temple, 
though we hear nothing about what happens to her, God in Christ sees her in all of her humble authenticity and holds that up as a faithful contrast to the unspeakably harsh injustice to which she is falling prey. The irony of this contrast would probably not have been lost on the early Christian community that first heard this story in this form from Mark's Gospel. You see, the temple was destroyed by the Romans in the year 70, and the fantasy of the scribes was destroyed along with it. The scribes, as Jesus knew them, were all but lost to history at that point. Their class, their wealth, their influence, their way of life, inexorably intertwined with the temple cult, could not survive without the temple. And the scribes' legacy would barely survive the resulting upheaval in Jerusalem. And what did survive evolved into something remarkably different from later rabbinical Judaism. But the widows, the widows persisted. <clears throat> and in fact, they became of critical importance to the early Christian community, where they were tended and empowered. And some of them even offered essential hospitality to the small communities gathering in the late first century in Jesus' name. But this is how our God works. It's another lesson in the first shall be last and the last shall be first. It turns our whole worldview upside down. The powerful are not truly powerful. And the least among us, even the nameless ones, receive God's blessing. It's that spiritual teaching at the heart of today's gospel and today's reading from the first book of Kings that we are likely to find the most frightening because it contradicts everything that we are taught by the world around us. We are taught to believe that only those who help themselves succeed, that up means having more, that our objective is always something beyond ourselves that we must strive for, and it is never present, it is always in the future. But that, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is the trap of the scribes. It's a trap where we devour the house of creation to the point that she now groans in crisis. Where we forget too easily that one in six of our sisters and brothers worldwide still remain uncertain where their next meal is going to come from. Where we are insulated from the naked reality of our reliance and indeed the reliance of the whole world upon our God. <clears throat> Seminarian classmate who came from the village in West Africa once remarked to me that we don't know how much we depend upon God until we are uncertain how we are going to get food for our family in the coming week. until we face famine with no clear solution. That is the spiritual and physical reality of the widows giving of their last 
picking up sticks for a final meal and offering it to God. And it is this reality of offering and service and reliance upon God's grace that these long robes and our parish family and our beautiful space and our gorgeous prayers and our practice of coming to the table with outstretched hands are all meant to serve. If they are used for any other purpose or meaning for our common life as a Christian community, it's probably just a dangerous fantasy. We are drawn together in a life of prayer and a community so that we may be sent forth to serve and to offer, not to take. But the good news for us is that when we take these stories of the widows into our hearts and recognize our own true poverty, even amidst material abundance, we are living again into our real vulnerability before our God. And of all realities, that is the most real in our lives. It's a vulnerability that when we offer it to Christ and to those who are most in need in the day-to-day -day and even moment-to-moment -moment of our lives, God will embrace it. And we may indeed discover that our jugs of oil and our jars of meal are replenished each day. Not because of our grasping and our endeavors, but because of God's grace at work around and within us. The grace that we can learn to trust as we pick up the sticks for each meal and offer it as a final meal to God and to our sisters and brothers. A grace that we can count on in all the changes and chances of this life for this day and for every day. A grace that will, if we let it, get us and the most vulnerable among us through any famine. Grace that will sustain us with an abundant love <coughs> that has been prepared for all the world from before us. Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to be able to greet you in person very soon.